Hey, what's up? Okay, so we didn't get it right. We're definitely going to get it right this time, I promise, okay? So you want more conversation? Like at a dinner or something? Okay, I've got just the idea. <sighs> nice dinner, nice conversation, and acting. Action. Bonjour, je me passer à comment de te parler. Euh, comment ça va? Bien? Je suis bien. Je suis froid. Euh, j'aime les baguettes, j'aime les pastries, j'aime les espresso, euh, j'aime la danse. Euh, je, je suis une ballerina. Euh, oui? Oui? I don't know what to say after that. I really don't. I think our creative team is way too creative sometimes, but maybe they'll get it right by next week because there's only one more sermon after today in this series. We are not in a series called we as in the French word we, but in the English word we, W-E. And I'll talk about that here in just a second. Before I do, welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are here. My name's Chad if you're new. And we are one church that meets in more than one location. This morning we have family meeting out at our Stone Canyon campus as well as others who are joining us online. So if you would, put your hands together. Give them a warm welcome as we study God's Word together. And like I said, we're in this series called We, because God never intended us to do life alone. God intended us to do life together with the right relationships. He never created us, He never intended us to do life on our own, to do life alone. And we see this at the very beginning of creation. When God first created everything, he looked at everything that he made. And when he looked at the human race, this is what he said in Genesis chapter 2. It is not good for man to be alone. Meaning loneliness was our original weakness. See, God created us in his image. And he's a relational God. And what that means is he created us to be relational beings. He designed us to live in relationship with Him, a meaningful, healthy relationship with Him, but also to live in relationship with others. And when we have a meaningful, healthy relationship with other people, we live a full, satisfied life. We live the life that God created us to live. God wove within the fabric of our DNA the need for connection, the need for human connection. And that's why in this series we've been emphasizing that we is greater than me. Because when we have the right relationships, godly relationships as he intended us to have, we is always greater than me. But here's the thing. We live in a culture that often lives very isolated. And it's so easy in the culture that we live in to just be focused on ourselves, be focused on me rather than we. I think it's difficult to move from me to we in our culture because our culture is so me-centered. And if you don't believe me, just think about it for a second. I mean, when I get up every single morning, I go to the shower. When I get in my shower, I have my bottle of shampoo and I have my soap. Now, there are 15 other bottles in my shower, but they don't belong to me. They're my wife's, okay? So I don't touch those. She doesn't want me to touch those. I use my soap. I use my shampoo. She uses hers, and we don't get it mixed up. If I do get it mixed up, I get in trouble, and I smell like strawberries the rest of the day. So I don't do that, okay? I have my shampoo. I have my soap. Then I go to my kitchen, 
and I fix my coffee. Now, here's the thing. We have a coffee pot right now, but I've thought about getting a Keurig. You know why? Because then I can fix just a cup of coffee for me. It's my roast, my flavor, one cup for me. I don't have to make coffee for anybody else, just me. If you're married, you might be like Allison and me in the fact that we are always at different temperatures. When she's hot, I'm cold, and when she's cold, I'm hot. We're never on the same page when it comes to temperature. So now they make blankets that have their own controls when it comes to temperature on both sides so she can turn up the heat if she wants to, and I don't have to have it on at all. They even make cars now with temperature controls, thermostat controls on both sides. So I can turn the air on, she can turn the heat on, or vice versa. It's great. And I can have just my perfect temperature. If I go for a jog or if I work out in the mornings, that's hypothetical for the sake of this illustration because I don't do that. But if, I know it's hard for you to tell, but if I went for a jog or worked out, I can pull out my phone that has my playlist of music on it and listen to my favorite songs. And I don't care if they're your favorite songs or not. They're my favorite songs, so I get to listen to them. So if I want to listen to Wake Me Up by Avicii, I can listen to that song. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, this is my jam right here. I mean, I'm loving it. I don't care if you like it or not. I don't care if you think I'm old because I like it. I don't care. I love this song. It's, it's mine. And I get contrary to work out the one time a year I do it. And I also get pumped to preach. I mean, you can't preach after a song like that. I don't know if you can. So anyway, but it's my song, and I love it. And even when I turn on my TV in the evenings when I get home from work, my TV will suggest things for me to watch based on my interests. Let's face it. We live in a me-centered culture, and it's never been more difficult to move from me to we than in the culture that we live in. I think this impacts every relationship that we have. It impacts our marriages. It impacts our family life. It impacts our friendships. It impacts our work relationships. It impacts our schools. It impacts how we drive down the road. And it definitely impacts the relationships we have with other generations. And that's what I want to talk about today. Because in our culture, there is a divide that is getting wider and wider between generations. And I think that divide, that generation gap that is getting bigger and bigger, wider and wider, I think that gap breaks God's heart. And it was never intended to be. Because here's the thing. Jesus came to restore us to the Father, but he didn't just come to restore us to God. He came to restore us both to God and one another. And I believe that includes various generations in our culture today, in our church today. Because here's the thing. Our God is not the God of just one generation He is the God of all generations. In Psalm 100, verse 5, it says this. It says, For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And His faithfulness continues to each generation. God is not the God of just one generation. He is faithful to all generations. He loves all generations. And since He is an intergenerational God, He expects us as His people To be an intergenerational people. He expects us to be working together, using our strengths from every generation to help one another move closer to Him. 
That's why in Psalm 145, verses 3 and 4, it says, Great is the Lord and highly to be praised. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. And I'm convinced that we need to hear this because in our culture today, there's this mindset among many that their generation is the best and better than every other generation because it's their generation. It's my generation. Now, I just want to let you know something up front. God hasn't called us to be builders or baby boomers. He hasn't called us to be Gen Xers or Millennials. He hasn't even called us to be Gen Zers. He has called us to be a family, His family, that is united in Him. And what that means is, when we understand that we're supposed to be one, one family working together in spite of our differences, when we understand truly we is greater than me, that we is greater than just my generation that I live in, we will bridge the generation gap that our culture, that I believe Satan has created, that God never intended to be. Because the Bible repeatedly warns us that every generation needs the other generations. Because in spite of our differences, and there are many, but in spite of our differences among generations, we all have the same basic needs. Let me illustrate it like this. I'm not sure if you guys have had the chance to play around with the app that came out this past summer where you get to upload a picture of like yourself and then there's age progression technology and it makes you look like you're 70 years old. I'm not sure if you get to play around with this, but I was exposed to it for the first time just the other day. I'm a little bit behind everybody else. And we took new staff pictures here at church. And so I decided to upload my staff picture to see what I would look like at age 70. And here I am at age 70. Are you ready? That's me, okay? So this is what you have to look forward to if I stick around this long, okay? This is what you have to look forward to. This is what your preacher is going to look like at age 70. I showed this to my son, Alex. He's six. And he said, Daddy, do you think Mommy will still love you if you look like that? I'm like, well, I sure hope so. But I know why he said that. It's because Allison doesn't want me to grow a beard. I've joked about it before, and she doesn't want me to grow a beard ever. And so I probably will never have that beard because I want to keep her happy. Even when we're older, I want to keep her happy, okay? But here's my original picture that we uh, uploaded and used. That's my new staff picture, and this is what I look like with this age progression technology. And, I, you know, that was a lot of fun. I thought I was the only staff member that took a new picture. Let's play around with some of our other staff pictures. So you guys know Tim Tibbles, our worship leader here at North Carolina. Uh, I decided to put him through this app and take a look at what he looks like at age 70. There's Tim. I love the hair, man. I really do. I love it. Now, I don't know if he's going to have that hair, but I bet he'll still be wearing that blue jean jacket at age 70. I guarantee it. Here's the original picture of Tim if you want to look at the difference. So there's the age progression. You can see it taking place right before your eyes. For our Stone Canyon family, I thought I would put C.J. Everson, our campus minister, through this. So here's a picture of C.J. at age 70. You can tell he looks like a distinguished old man. I showed this to C.J. this week, and he said, I like the old man I'm becoming. Apparently. Apparently, he really liked this look, so he said if he looked like that at age 70, he'd be doing pretty well. Here's the original picture that I used to upload, so you can see the difference there. And then one more, I decided to put Matt Thomason, our executive minister, through this app. And here's a picture of Matt at age 70. So you can see him, and here's the original picture that we used. He looks the exact same. He hasn't changed at all. I give him a hard time because he's the oldest minister on staff right now. Believe it or not, he really is. So love you, Matt. I really do. Okay. Now, if you want to put back up uh, the two pictures of me, 
I use this illustration for a reason. Because these two guys, though they're the same guy, they represent two different age groups, two different generations, you might say. And because of the two different phases of life that these guys are in, they're going to see life a little differently. They're going to have a little different perspective on life. Because of their life experience, because of their financial status, because of their emotional status, because of where their families are, because of the different things that they're experiencing when it comes to health and stress and pressures of life, they're going to see life a little differently because they've had different life experiences at this point. But here's the thing. They're the same guy. And they have the same basic needs. Both of these guys need to feel loved and need to love. Both of these guys want to feel significant. Both of these guys want to make an impact. Both of these guys want to have influence. Both of these guys want to know that their lives matter. Both of these guys want to make sure that they live with purpose and meaning, both of these guys want to make sure that their kids are healthy and are raised right. Both of these guys need friendships and relationships to get through life. And most importantly, both of these guys need God. And I believe that that is the one need that unites all of us. Every generation needs God. In spite of our differences... Every generation needs God. There's not a generation that exists that doesn't need Him. Styles may come and go. Fads may pop up and fade away. But our need for God does not change. And He doesn't change. Every generation needs Him. And we need one another to help us move closer to Him. And that's why I said earlier, every generation needs the other generations. Why? Because that's how God designed it to be. And in culture and in the church, when generations stop talking to one another, stop listening to one another, it always leads to crisis. I think we're seeing that in our day and age. But we're not the first group in history to experience this. There's a prime example that's found in the book of Judges. In Judges chapter 2, we see a verse that I think is one of the scariest verses in all of Scripture that is very eye-opening. And it takes place after Joshua, who was the leader of God's people, the the Israelites, dies. See, Joshua has been leading the people for years, and he led the people after Moses died. So Moses was leader of the Israelites, then Joshua. Now Joshua has died, and a new generation takes over the leadership of God's people And look at what the book of Judges chapter 2 says about this generation. Judges 2 verse 10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, so after Joshua's generation died, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. That verse breaks my heart. And it scares me to death. Because it reminds me it only takes one generation to forget about God. It only takes one generation of the older folks not talking to the younger folks. And the younger folks not listening to the older folks to move away from God. Because here's the thing. What's described in Judges 2 verse 10 was not always the case. 
Back when Joshua was leading the people, the people were following God. Now, there was a moment in Joshua's leadership where the people wanted or attempted to move away from God. And do you remember what Joshua did? He stood before the people of Israel. And in Joshua 24, listen to what Joshua says. He says, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, as for me and my family, from the youngest to the greatest, from the babies to grandpa, as for me and my family, we together will serve the Lord. The reason why Joshua said this is because he knew what God expected He knew what God wanted his family to do. didn't matter what the culture around him was going to do. He knew what God wanted from him. And he knew God's law said this in the book of Deuteronomy. He knew that God's law said in Deuteronomy 11, teach these things, my ways, ways, God's ways to your children. Talk about them when you're sitting together in your home and when you're walking together down the road. Make them the last thing you talk about before you go to bed and the first thing you talk about the next morning. God says, I want your families to be growing together from the least to the greatest. Teach your children about me together as a family from the youngest to the oldest. Continue to grow up in me. And Joshua says, that's what I'm going to do. The culture around me may not practice that, but I'm going to do that. As for me and my house, as for me and my family, together we will serve the Lord. And you know how the people of Israel responded when Joshua made that stand? Look back with me. Joshua 24, the people responded, we will, we too will serve the Lord. And they did. Under Joshua's leadership, the people continued to serve God, and God did great, incredible, awesome things in their midst. But then Joshua passes away, and a new generation rises up. There's new leadership among the Israelites. And one generation stops talking to another, stops telling the next generation about God. And look at what happens, Judges 2, verse 10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Now, when some people read this verse, they say, well, that's not just what happened in the days of the judges. That describes our day and age. There may be some truth to that. I'm not going to argue. I mean, there may be some truth to that. But here's the thing. Judges 2 verse 10 might describe our culture, but it doesn't have to describe our church. See, God intended the church to be an intergenerational force for good. And the darker our culture becomes, the brighter the light of the church has to shine. He intended us, you and me, this family of believers to be an intergenerational force for good. Because when the older generation is plugged into the younger generation and the younger generation is plugged into the older generation, we maximize our strengths together for the glory of our ageless God. So how do we make sure that Judges 2 verse 10 doesn't happen in this place? How do we make sure that we as a family, we as a church, are an intergenerational force for good in the midst of this dark world? Well, I think there are three biblical principles we need to follow, three things that we need to do. And the first is this. We need to make sure that we love every generation. We need to be intentional about loving every generation. Because let's be honest, in our culture today, there is an undeniable tension that exists between generations. And I think this tension is based upon a set of assumptions that every generation believes. 
And you guys probably know this to be true. Here are the assumptions. See, every generation believes that their generation is different. And that's true. Every generation is different in some way or another. And every generation knows this. We know that we are different from those who are older than us and those who are younger than us. But then there's another part of this tension. Every generation thinks its brand of different is right. And this is where things start to go a little sideways. When we think our brand of different is right, and then we move down to this third part, every generation assumes another generation's brand of different is wrong. And that's when things start to get really, really ugly. Because when you look at this list, only one of these statements is true. And it's not the third one. It's not the second one. It's the first one. The only statement that's true on here is that every generation is different. But here's what we need to remember. Different is just different. Different doesn't mean it's bad. Different can just mean different. And different isn't always bad. In fact, sometimes different is better. But you know, we don't, all, we don't always practically live like this, do we? Because there is a temptation, almost an expectation in our culture to shame and to disrespect that which is different from us. If you don't believe me, just listen to the culture around us. There is a tendency for older generations to shame younger generations just because they're different. There was an article that came out in Time magazine, and it said this about the younger generation. Look at what it says. It says, they have trouble making decisions. They would rather hike in the Himalayas than climb the corporate stepladder. They crave entertainment, but their attention span is as short as one zap of a TV dial. Now, we would assume that this is an article speaking about the millennials. By the way, I am a millennial. If you didn't know that, I am. You're probably thinking, man, we used to like that preacher until we found out he's one of those millennials because apparently the millennials, my generation, were ruining everything. But if it's not about the millennials, then maybe it's about the generation that's younger than me, Gen Z, right? That's, that's who this article's got to be talking about because the younger folks, they're ruining everything. But you know when this was said in Time Magazine? The year 1990, This was said about Generation X, the generation older than me. This is what the baby boomers were saying about Generation X. They're ruining everything. They're messing everything up. Let me give you another example. This was a statement that was made in the New York Times. This next statement says, the now generation has become the me generation. Me generation focused on themselves. That's got to be talking about the millennials, right? It's got to be talking about the millennials or maybe Gen Z, those that are younger than millennials. got to. You know when that was said? 1976, the builders were saying this about the baby boomers. They were saying, those baby boomers, they're ruining everything. They're tearing up our society. They're so focused on themselves. But let me give you another example. Look at this quote right here. I see no hope for the future of our people if they are dependent on the frivolous youth of today. You know who said that? Hesiod in the 8th century B.C. It's as if the older generation has been shaming the younger generation since the beginning of time, all because they're different. Now, here's the thing. I'm not going to let the younger generation off the hook either. The younger generation has a tendency to disrespect the older generation in the name of progress. And that's not right either. I'll never forget visiting a church building one time because I wanted to meet their new preacher. There's a church that was close to the church I used to serve, and so I stopped by one afternoon to meet this guy. He was showing me around their building and telling me some of the stuff that they're doing, some of the changes they're making, and he was kind of full of himself. He was a little bit arrogant. And so I'm just listening to all of the stuff he's telling me. And then at one point, he made this statement. He said, Chad, 
this ain't the church for your grandma. And I remember looking at him and just being so offended by that statement. Because don't get me wrong, I am all about doing whatever we can to reach the next generation. You guys know me. I'm all about that. But I love my grandma. And there's not a more godly woman that I know than my grandma. And if we lived in the same town, I want my grandma worshiping with, my, with her grandkids, my kids. Because I think that's how God intended it to be. I think the church is for everyone, including my grandma. And as I thought about that statement, I thought about all the things that my grandma, my grandparents have been through. I mean, she and my grandpa, they are a prime example of faithfulness. Faithful in their marriage. Faithful to their children and grandchildren. Faithful to their community. Faithful to the church that they've attended their entire lives. They've only been to one church their entire lives. And that church, Springfield Christian Church of Springfield, Kentucky, probably would not be open today if it wasn't for the sacrifices that my grandparents made over the years. And I look at their generation. The, the, the generation that lived through World War II, that freed us from tyranny, that built the infrastructure that our nation currently has, that made sacrifices after sacrifices so that we can live the lives that we live today. And that generation is an example of faithfulness. Faithfulness in their marriages, faithfulness to their family. They are faithful to their communities, faithful to the church, and they're faithful to God. And I don't know about you. We may not agree with everything that different generations believe, but I think the oldest generation among us deserves our respect. So can you give it up for the oldest generation that's in our church here today? It's easy in our culture to highlight the negative aspects of every generation, but as those who live under the grace of God, we don't have that right. We're not allowed to do that. Galatians 6 verse 10 says this. It says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, all generations, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See, we're a family here. And that means sometimes we give up our personal preferences for the sake of the family. I know at my kitchen table... We have conversations sometimes that Alice and I really don't want to have. They are below us when it comes to our intellect. But we want to have conversations with our kids. We want to involve them. We play this game around our kitchen table that Alex, my son, made up. It's called, uh, what's your favorite Disney character? Can you guess your favorite Disney character? And so what he'll do is he'll say, I'm thinking of a Disney character. And then he'll give us some clue. And then we have to try to guess who he's thinking about. And we go around the table. Now, Addie, my almost three-year-old, she says Belle from Beauty and the Beast every time. It doesn't matter what clue he gives. He'll say, it's a mouse. And she'll say, Bill, and she just, that's her favorite, but normally it's Allison and Allison and me who are guessing, you know, the right answer, and once one of us guesses it, then the next one picks up the game, and I'm thinking of a Disney character, and we'll play this forever, and Alex and Addie, they love it. Allison and I would much rather be talking about other things, but we do it because we want our kids to feel welcome at our family table. That's how a family works. And I am willing to give up some of my personal preferences if it means that other people have a place at God's table. If it means that those who are far from God get to come and sit around his table. Now, I'm not talking about giving up doctrinal beliefs or anything like that, but I am willing to give up the preferences of my generation if it means that others can come and gather around God's table with him. 
Because I believe we can learn from one another. And I believe that the church is strongest when we are an intergenerational force for good. We'd be foolish to think that every generation doesn't get some things right and every generation doesn't get some things wrong. So that leads me to the next principle I think we need to follow, and it's this. We need to learn from every generation. It's not just that we need to love every generation. We need to learn from every generation. And I'm convicted that in recent years, the reason why it seems like our culture is unraveling at the seams is because we lack this intergenerational connection, interaction that we used to have. Like I said earlier, every generation needs the other generations. The younger generation needs the wisdom and the guidance and the life experience from the older generation. Because the older generation, they've been through what the younger generation is now going through. They've been there, got the t-shirt. They know all about it. And they can help the younger generation make sure they don't make the same mistakes. But the older generation also needs the younger. They need the youth, the vitality, the energy, the creativity of the younger generation. And that's the way God designed it to be. I've only been dumped one time in my entire life. I had a girl break my heart one time when I was in high school. I thought I was in love with her, and she broke my heart, and it was unexpected. And I moped around the house for days after that, and I thought life was going to come to an end. And I remember I had all these buddies that stopped by the house, and come on, Chad, let's go do something. I didn't want to do anything, and they were all telling me, it'll be okay, it'll be okay, she's not worth it. You know, they were all trying to make me feel better, and none of them made me feel better. You know who made me feel better? My dad. Because at that time, I loved my parents, don't get me wrong, but I was too cool to hang out with my parents. You know, I had my own life, so I thought. And my dad said, come on, let's go get a bite to eat, just two of us. I was like, no, I'm good, Dad, I'm fine. He's like, no, come on, let's go. And Dad took me out to eat, and he set me down, and he said, Chad, I had a girl break up with me one time that I thought I was in love with, too. And she broke my heart. And I looked at him and said, Dad, you got dumped? He's like, yeah, I got dumped. I said, you never told me that. He said, why would I tell you that? He said, but now you need to know. And he said, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because if I hadn't been dumped, I would have never met your mom. And I remember that meant more to me than anything else. You know why? Because my dad had been there, done that, got the T-shirt. He had walked in my shoes. And I needed that wisdom. I needed him to tell me that. But I've also seen this play out the other way. I don't know how many hospital visits or nursing home visits I've been to by myself. And there, people are fine with seeing me. But when I bring my kids with me, older folks, they light up. They get excited. There's something about being around youth that just gives you energy and it perks you up. And even me at my age, at the ripe old age of 34, sometimes I need that. I remember at the last church I served, I'd been there for a few years, and we had an intern who was in college, and he came up to me one day in the office, and he was like, hey, Chad, can I talk to you about something kind of serious? I was like, well, sure. I thought he was going to, like, confess something or whatever. I was like, yeah, sure. What's up? And he said, listen, you're a great preacher, but you need to change what you wear. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? He's like, what you're wearing right now was in style when you were in high school, but you're not in high school anymore. You need to change what you wear if you're going to reach younger people. And I was mad at him. I fired him. No, not really, but I thought about it. But he was right. We need one another. And I saw this play out last fall. We had our Your Invited series. And remember, that series ended with a church-wide carnival, a community-wide carnival that we threw as a church. And there was one older lady in our church who was really mad that we were doing that. She was upset because she thought it was a waste of money and that's not what church is all about and went down the list of reasons why we shouldn't throw a carnival. Until we had the carnival and her grandkids showed up. 
Because she told me later, she said she'd been inviting her grandkids forever to come to church, and she couldn't get them to come, but someone else invited them to come to the carnival. They came to church that Sunday, stayed for the carnival, and she came to me and she said, I've been set in my ways, and I'm sorry. Sometimes we need different generations to wake us up to what's right. I've got a picture on the screen of a guy named John Sorensen. John Sorensen, there was an article done on him a few years ago in the New York Times, and they featured some of the oldest uh, New Yorkers who had lived there the longest, lived in New York the longest, and he was one of these um, people that was, that was highlighted. And at 92 years old, they asked him one question in this article, when you wake up every morning, how do you feel? You know how he responded? Surprised. That was his response. When you wake up every morning, how do you feel? Surprised. But you know his surprises that he's experienced over life, during his life? That's wisdom for the rest of us. And we can learn a lot from a guy like that. We'd be foolish to think that every generation doesn't get some things right and every generation doesn't get some things wrong. So let's do life together and learn from one another. And the last biblical principle I believe we need to follow is this. We need to lift up every generation. And by lift up... I mean, we need to serve, we need to support every generation. If we're going to bridge the generation gap that I believe the evil one has created that God never intended, it's going to take humility. Philippians 2 verse 4 says this, each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. And if you want to plug in the word generation here, I think you can. You should not just look to the interest of your own generation but also the interest of other generations. If our church is going to be an intergenerational force for good, it's not going to happen by accident. It's going to take intentional investment. And I believe it's my responsibility to do whatever I can to invest in the generations that are older than me and the generations that are younger than me. And it's your responsibility to do the same because here's the thing, every generation needs God. We all need God and we all need one another. I'm not sure if you ever thought about this, that every generation really has the same need. When you look at older generations, what is it that they really want? As their friends get older and pass away, maybe their spouses get older and pass away or move away, what is it that the older people in the older generation want? They just want companionship, right? They want to know their love, that people care about them. But here's the thing, the same is true for the younger generation. Study after study tells us that millennials... And Gen Zers, you know what they want more than anything else? Authentic relationships. They poll them over and over and they say, what do you want most in life? Authentic, genuine relationships. And here's the thing. We don't know how to have those type of relationships because we're addicted to our screens. We think that friendships are something you have on social media, something we can learn from the older generation, what authentic friendships and relationships look like. But we all have the same basic need. We need a healthy relationship with God and we need a healthy relationship with people. And so what are you doing right now to invest in a generation that's different from yours? Because there are ways to do that around our church. And right now as I speak, there is a generation of our church that is not present in this room. or not present at our main auditorium at Stone Canyon that needs us to invest in them. And that's the next generation. Our first kids' ministry, it is bursting at the seams. It is exploding in an awesome way. 
Our first kids minister, Nathan, is doing a phenomenal job. His staff and volunteers are doing a phenomenal job. And we're having more kids every single weekend come together to learn about Christ. And it is awesome seeing what's going on there. It is getting so big that we're having to be very strategic about our space upstairs because we're running out of space. We're having to be very strategic about our volunteers because we don't have enough volunteers. And they're having to put together new plans and plan B's and plan C's in order to make sure that it all works out. And Nathan's doing a great job, but he needs your prayer. He needs your support. He needs your resources. He needs your help. He needs your investment. And right now we can all, no matter what age we are in this room, we can help out in some way for the next generation so that Judges 2 verse 10 doesn't happen in this church. And I thought it might be good for you to hear from some of our first kids volunteers. Take a look at this video. I would say uh, that in our elementary ministry, we want to create a place where kids are excited to come to each and every Sunday morning. We want to have an environment where they love to come and learn about God and uh, they can connect with not only their peers, but the adult leaders who love and care about them and want to see them grow in their faith. If you volunteer one Sunday per month for one year, you're, you're giving 12 hours to students who are going to be kingdom workers. This, this is our kingdom workers. So, we have to invest in them, and if, if 12 hours is all that you have, then you invest that 12 hours the best that you can. And if you can do more, then even better. If one of my friends asked me about First Kids Ministry, I would tell them that we're a team that just really loves on kids, and we love to teach kids about the love of Jesus and teach them how to love others. We have a great group of people who are highly energetic and highly uh, involved in, in trying to help uh, them grow in their faith, and, and we have a team that is really uh, invested in trying to teach them how to uh, get the tools to teach others about how to love God. So uh, it's, a great, it's a great mission that we have. We are Christ-focused in everything that we do, not only in the elementary, but the whole church is saying, this is who we are, this is what we think, and we are building relationships to follow Christ. Who are you investing in? Our First Kids Ministry needs you. But there may be other ways you can invest in a generation that's different from yours. Maybe it's going and seeing some older church members who are in a nursing home. Maybe it's you, if you're an older couple, inviting a younger couple that just got married or engaged, taking them out to lunch, talking about life with them. Maybe it's helping babysit those who have young kids. Maybe it's just sitting beside people in church on Sunday that aren't in your generation. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? There are ways that you can invest in the next generation. They're actually kind of simple. I'll never forget when I was growing up in church, there was a man in our church that I affectionately called the candy man. I didn't know his name for years. He was just the candy man. That's what all the kids called him. He was a leader in our church, an usher in our church. And every Sunday he was greeting people and the kids would run up to him and he would have these. I don't know if you can see it, but it's a fireball. Now, my parents wouldn't let me have these because they thought they were too hot and all that, but the candy man had them every Sunday, and so we would go get them. And if you were to walk into our children's church room at the beginning of service, you would see all the kids like this, you know, because we were eating these fireballs, and we loved them. It was great. And I remember for years, I'd go as a kid and get this candy from him. And years later, I remember... I remember a teenager, a student getting baptized on a Sunday. You know who baptized him? The candy man. The candy man, yeah, he was a leader in our church, but he wasn't a youth sponsor or anything like that. But this kid, this teenager, wanted the candy man to baptize him because he said, I remember on that morning, they gave him a microphone, and he said, I came from a messed up family, and I didn't feel welcome anywhere in life. 
until I came here to this church and the first person that made me feel welcome was this man right here, the candy man. He may have thought he was just passing out fireballs, but he was investing in those who are not of his generation. Who are you investing in? The church is at its best when we're an intergenerational force for good. God hasn't called us to be builders or baby boomers, to be Gen Xers or millennials, to be Gen Zers. God has called us to be a family, His family, united in His Son. And today as you leave here, I've got a fireball for everybody. <laughs> and I want you to take it, eat it, it might set your mouth on fire, but as it does... Think about how you can light a fire in another generation. Think about how you can invest in someone else. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for this chance we've had to open up your word and learn from it. And I pray that Judges 2 verse 10 is never said of this church, your first church. May we always be an intergenerational force for good. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.